Well, I think you all deserve a bar of chocolate this morning, apart from just Peggy, um, for A, being here this morning, when I expect you're all coming back this evening for the carol service, so church twice on a Sunday, well, uh, and B, for not disappearing down to messy church now to take part in all those celebrations. Peggy, if I live to be 97, and I'm as well turned out as you are at 97, I shall be very proud of myself. I hope you are coming back to the carol service, it being Mark's first carol service. He's doing things a little differently. So, um, uh, uh, yes, it won't be done quite exactly as it's been done for the last 20-odd years or so. Just a few touches here, which will be something special, so something to look forward to. Okay, so we're going to think about this story, this wonderful story of Mary and the angel. December is a month of asking questions. What would you like for Christmas? Always hard for dads to answer, I think, that one. Where are you spending Christmas this year? Would you like to come for Christmas drinks and nibbles? Would you like to come to our carol service this evening? I hope that's maybe a question that you have asked somebody this week. This year I was asked to do something that I've never been asked to do before. Would you like to be Father Christmas for Little Saints? Of course I jumped at the chance. Um, uh, Vera, I can see you there. You can say what a magnificent performance it was, can't you? I'm proud to say that only one child was frightened and cried at my entrance. (laughs) And I realized, too, that I've now reached the third age of Father Christmas. Do you know the four ages of Father Christmas? The first age is when you believe in Father Christmas. The second age is when you stop believing in Father Christmas. The third age is when you are Father Christmas. And the fourth and final age, which I am fast approaching, is that you start to look like Father Christmas. (laughs) So our Bible passage today is an example of an ask, a very big ask, which is the title that Mark, our rector, chose for the talk. And let me take you on a slightly devious route to it. When I was a child in the 1950s, every now and then at the Gospel Hall in Buller Road, Exeter, there would be a series of meetings Monday to Friday for children. And there not being a lot to do for children in the 1950s, (laughs) I would go along and you would be treated to uh, a sing-song of children's choruses and a man would tell you a Bible story using the amazing technology of a flannel graph. For younger listeners here today, and there are one or two younger listeners, um, a flannel graph was something that was cut out figures you could stick to a piece of old cloth to make a vivid tableau. It was the CGI of its day. (laughs) Oh, and with any luck at the Gospel Hall, there would be free sweets. It was kind of good news for the week, and Gospel Hall, of course, means the good news hall. That being what the word gospel means. Gospel is the old English equivalent of a Greek word, euangelion, which means the same, good news. And we get our word euangelion or evangelion, we get our word evangelical from that word. And I learned preparing this talk that the word word angel, as in the angel Gabriel, is part of that same Greek word. U means good and angel or 
uh, or angelion means news or a messenger and an angel is a messenger a news bringer and in the case of Mary and when the angels appeared to the shepherds they were indeed messengers of good news we as a church community are a people who hold strongly to that first good news message and that is why we would describe ourselves as evangelical a word first used by William Tyndale in the 16th century Tyndale was a Protestant reformer an early translator of the Bible into English put to death in 1536 in Belgium where he had fled to escape a warrant for his arrest from the king and before he was strangled at the stake Tyndale spoke these last words Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And only four years later, that prayer was at least in part answered when Henry approved a law that an English translation of the Bible, of the good news, should be made available in every church. And as evangelicals, believers in the good news, we believe that the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, is a message of transformative Good news when an individual commits, surrenders their life to Christ. At the New Wine Conference in Shepton Mallet a couple of years ago, I heard the Scottish pastor, Kenny Borthwick, say this. The good news is that God wants to make me into the person I was born to be before circumstances, other people or I myself messed up. The good news is that God wants to make me into the person I was born to be before circumstances, other people, or I myself messed up. And I thought that was a lovely explanation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And down through the centuries, hundreds of thousands of stories of lives changed for the better can be told. And we here today can add and are adding our stories to that still growing volume of biographies. God making us into the people we were born to be. And although you could say that story of good news has many starting points, here today is one when an angel appeared to a young woman, almost certainly a teenager. The angel's first words are recorded as, Hail, you who have found great favor in the eyes of God. The Lord is truly with you. You know, Mary must have told Jesus and the disciples, and maybe even Luke himself, this story many times. And what was her reaction to those words? Well, this is what she said. When he appeared and said these words to me, I was greatly troubled. I was afraid. That's not normally how we react to good news. To be greatly troubled. Now, I imagine it's not so much the words that trouble Mary, of course, as the actual fact of what she is seeing and feeling and experiencing right in front of her. Something completely unfamiliar and strange is happening to this young girl. As we would say nowadays, she is well out of her comfort zone. 
as we would be if it happened to us. If you go home now and you're standing at the kitchen sink preparing the Sunday lunch or whatever and suddenly an angel is there. We would be well out of our comfort zone. It's not what she was expecting would happen when she woke up the morning and set about her chores for the day. I don't suppose for one minute she went around wondering, uh, I wonder if I'll be visited by an angel today. And when it didn't happen, as she was drifting as steep uh, uh, in the evening, did, I don't suppose she thought, ah well, perhaps tomorrow the angel will come. No, I can't believe that was her usual frame of mind. And the reason why she was troubled was that the angel brought good news, which was also a sort of bad news. It was good news that she was to be richly blessed in a unique way by God. It was good news that she was to give birth to a boy, and even more staggeringly that this boy would be the true descendant of David, to rule over the house of Israel forever. But all that meant that her life, as she knew it, was about to be turned upside down, and in a way that was going to be very uncomfortable. Never mind the shock of being told that you are or are about to be pregnant, and that not by human means. Never mind the explaining that will have to be done to Joseph, to the family, to the village. If all that the angels said about the baby was true, then the familiar life as she knew it now, with its rhythms, its web of relationships, its settled beliefs, all that was going to change, was going to go. Perhaps she realized this in an instant. No wonder she was greatly troubled. The poet Elizabeth Jennings, writing a poem about the Annunciation, includes the line, The angel bringing pain disguised as joy. More often than not, the message of good news is also troubling news, bad news. Luke uses the same word to describe Zachariah's reaction uh, to the angel. And Matthew uses that word again to describe the reaction of King Herod when the seers from the east arrive with news of the newly born king. It is the word used to describe Jesus on the night of the Last Supper and in the Garden of Gethsemane. Good news is often troubling, disturbing, unsettling news. And if you have not ever been troubled because of God's call on your life, you have to ask yourself, am I really on the team? Am I really on side here? I mentioned in my last talk in Sanctuary some words of C.S. Lewis when he wrote, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Now, very often, down through the ages, the good news of the gospel has been kind of pretty terrible news, the way it's been told sometimes. There has been the gospel of fear, especially the fear of hell. 
There has been the gospel of salvation through doing an enormous amount of good works. There has been the gospel of the terrible, awful depravity and sinfulness of human beings and how wicked they all are. Now we no longer have hellfire and damnation sermons. We emphasize the loving kindness, the grace, the open invitation that comes to God to us human beings. If you like, all the wonderful benefits, the good news that comes from opening the door of your life to Christ. But maybe we underplay these days the cost and the challenge of following Jesus Christ. Because there is a cost and a challenge. And that is, if you like, the bad news bit, the uncomfortable bit, the challenge bit. Because there is a big ask, which is what Mary was to discover when God walked into her life one ordinary day. Although the angel, in one sense, does not present the news as a choice or a request, I think we should believe that Mary could have turned her back and chosen a different way. Herod did just that. We could have had a different story in Matthew about Herod. When the delegation from the east walked into his life one day with good news, just like the angel came to Mary, Herod could have welcomed them. But no, his priority was to protect his wealth, his position, his status and his power. And he decided to wage war against the baby born to be king. Mary, for her part, I think, could have metaphorically turned her back on the angel. She could have said, not me, Lord. I don't have the strength. I don't have that strong of faith. I don't want to pay that kind of price. Not me, Lord. Choose someone else. You know, God never really compels or forces people to follow him. He invites. It's an invitation to the wedding feast, not a summons. He knows that for many, the ask will be too big and the demands too great. He knows that they will respond, I'm all right where I am, thank you very much. Go and call on someone else. Once Jesus asked a young man to give up his wealth and it was too big an ask for him and he went away sorrowing. Many of us can identify with him. We might sing, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Oh, I'm not sure about that. I think I'd like to hold on to a few mites, wouldn't you? We don't always fully mean it. What we mean is, just take a bit, Lord. Just take a bit. Wherever and whenever the good news has been faithfully preached, some have, many have, we have embraced its message of good grief. It is grief and challenge which is good. At a personal cost, many have said no to position, to wealth, to a relationship, to a known future, to their homeland. 
and they've said yes to going uh, to a new life in a direction which is different of following Jesus into the unknown, the dangerous and the uncomfortable. But for many, probably for all of us at one time or another in our lives, the ask is a little bit too hard. Not so Mary. Oh yes, she asked a question, a perfectly sensible one. How can this be, since I've not yet even been to bed with anyone, not even to the man to whom I'm engaged? Notice this, Gabriel gives her an answer and is gentler with her than he was with the priest Zechariah, who asked a similar question and got struck dumb for it. I think maybe Gabriel learned a little bit. Perhaps I was a bit hard on Zechariah. So he didn't do anything like that. But whether or not Mary understood the answer he gave her, in her simplicity and in her faithfulness, she said yes to that big ask. I am the bond servant. I am the slave of the Lord, she replies. Let it all happen exactly as if you said it would. These are the words of trusting faith and humble obedience, attributes, attributes at the heart of a living relationship with God. Trusting faith and humble obedience. I have no idea if any of you here today have been faced with a really, really big ask by God. Perhaps it may have had to do with a relationship, a job that you loved, your money, or an ambition that you had. It may have been to go somewhere you did not want to go, to do something you did not want to do, or stop doing something you enjoy doing. Perhaps there has never been a truly big ask that shook you to the core. But perhaps there is not a day goes by without a God-prompted ask. Even in the ordinariness of everyday life. Every time we turn to God's word or sit quietly before him in prayer, there is the possibility of an ask from God. Oh yeah, we like to ask things of God in our prayers. But God also has things to ask of us. We may not always be directly conscious of it, but each day is an opportunity to say like Mary, I am the Lord's servant. Let Christ be born in me today. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, let Christ be the center of my life. And it is not just a yes declaration we made many years ago day by day week in week out we have to go on saying yes to the call of God to the ask of God on our lives and maybe if we're too settled and too comfortable and spiritually have got a little bit hard of hearing perhaps we should turn the question around a bit Lord what are you asking of me today Lord, what are you asking me of the year ahead? Tonight at the carol service, as at thousands of carol services around the world, we'll sing the carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. The words of the last verse are these. O holy child of Bethlehem, 
descend to us we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. In effect, that was what Mary was saying. Yes, Jesus will be born in me. I say yes to God's big ask. And we pray that this Christmas, many will be able to say or sing those words with conviction for the first time. Maybe some here tonight in this church. But we who said those words, sang those words for the first time with meaning many years ago, we need to go on saying them. And these words too. Lord, what would you have me do? Followed by, let it be according to your word.